You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Ten X is easier than two X, which means improving something in your life, whether it's your job, your business, your passion, improving by ten times. And this is true; is actually easier than improving by two times. Today, I talk with Dr. Benjamin Hardy, who just wrote the book Ten X is Easier Than Two X, and he describes the techniques and the reasons why. And of course, as I do, I turned it into a therapy session for myself. Fascinating discussion. I really agree with his approach. And I know so many people, including myself often, who live in this 2X world where you think, oh, I can't have that kind of goal. It's too much. I can't have this dream. This dream will never come true. It's too much. Benjamin Hardy tells me why I'm wrong in that thinking and why everybody who thinks that way is wrong and the ways to improve your life and your thinking and your mindset so that you live in the 10X, that you have an approach where you can 10X the quality of the things in your life, particularly the things that you're most passionate about. It's a long intro. 10X is easier than 2X. Here's Dr. Benjamin Hardy. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Loving this book, 10X is better than 2X. You liking it, man? Yeah. I mean, it very much goes along with my own philosophy, which is that nobody can tell if person A is 10% better than person B. I can't tell you, Ben, like if you're a public speaker, for instance, I can't tell if you're a 10% better speaker than the next person, but I can tell if you're 10 times better than the other person. If you're a therapist, I, can, I can't tell which therapist or doctor is 10% better than another doctor, but if you're 10 times better, then it's obvious you can tell. So the goal should always be to be 10 times better. <laughs> now people think, and as you point out in the beginning, people think, well, that's a hundred times harder, but you point out that it's not. Go, go from there. Why isn't it a hundred times harder to be 10X better versus 10% better? <laughs> <laughs> so that comes from a quote from Astro Teller, who's like this, like the the. I went to school with Astro Teller. Yeah, that dude's a wizard. So like, that's a literally a direct quote from him that 10x is often easier than 10. percent One of the reasons is if you're going for 10 percent better, and this is more riffing off of Teller for a minute, like then you're still competing with everyone else, right? Whereas if you go for 10x, it's going to take you on a totally different journey. Totally, di you know, it's very non-linear going for 10x. Whereas if you're going for 10 percent or even 2x. 
then you're you're pretty much going linear off of where you are. So you're actually letting the past dictate your present and future strategy, whereas 10x is letting the future dictate your present and even your past you know your past filtering. So it, it's it's easier in a lot of ways. Have you ever heard of constraint theory, James? No, and I, I I saw you mention that with Alan Bernstein, who was at the Joe Polish marketing mastermind that you went to, and you mentioned Dr. Alan Bernstein's is was making some comments about it, and he is a, a world expert on constraint theory, but I don't really know that much about it. Yeah, so the only reason I bring it up is, is it's a basically a decision-making tool. Like, So basically, you, you, you try to find out the goal and what are the bottlenecks that are stopping you from achieving the goal. And so Dr. Bernard is just this epic dude, but basically what he's found in his research is, is that when you make the goal enormously bigger, it weeds out all the noise. So like, I'll give you an example, and maybe you saw it in the book with, with my son, but like, he's oh, yeah, a college... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, he's a tennis player and he wants to play college. And his coach said, Well, why don't you just go for pro? And it actually, it, it actually made a lot of sense because it kind of to the idea of it's kind of confusing if you're going for a small goal. If we wanted to go for college, we would have to like sift and sort through like hundreds of different coaches here in Orlando to see which one might get him there. Whereas if we're going for pro, we only know there's only probably a handful of coaches that could realistically get him to pro. So we already know if we go for a higher goal, that it's going to weed out 90% of the options because most of them aren't good enough, you know, back to that idea of the therapist, right? And so having a higher goal actually weeds out most of the stuff that doesn't matter and it simplifies and helps you be a lot more honest about the few things that might. It's very interesting. So, and this is related to like the 80-20 rule, you know, focus on doing the 20% that gets you 80% of the value, right? Yep. So, and that's referenced to so many different things and applies to so many different areas of life. But I, I always question a couple of things. One is, like with that 80-20 rule, which is related to constraint theory, how do you find and identify the 20% that creates 80% of the value? Sometimes that's difficult. And the other thing is, is that for myself, when I'm trying to make a goal that seems like super big, like a 10x goal, it's too easy to call bullshit on yourself. I think to myself, oh, well, that's not possible. <laughs> yeah, I think that actually goes straight back to Bernard's theories, by the way, that it's actually good if you don't think it's possible. Because if you think it's possible, then you're still probably operating in the 80%. But also, if you think it's possible, you're still operating based on your past assumptions. Whereas only once something is out of the realm of possibility, will you start actually entertaining different per perspectives and strategies than you now have. Mm, and so it's actually very useful. Yeah, it's very useful to kick something out of the realm of what you think is possible because now we're going to finally stop dealing with your past as much. In terms of the 80-20, your question is really useful. So basically this helps us define a little bit of the difference between 10x and 2x. This is actually one of the reasons why I like Dan Sullivan's thinking is because he creates binaries, right? And I know you and I talked about the gap and the gain a couple of years ago, but there's a lot of conversations about 10x, but no one's actually defined the opposite. And if you don't, if you don't know what the opposite is, it's actually hard to actually know what you're talking about. And so, you know, as we already talked about, 2x is kind of a linear approach to growth. It's a past-based approach. But using the 80-20, if I'm going for 2x growth, um, then I can pretty much keep 80% of my life. I don't have to change that much. It's not very transformational. And and just to mention, like, and you 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 yeah. talk about two x, but and you also talk about ten percent a year kind of growth. They kind of are linked together. Like, if you let's say you grow your salary ten percent a year every year, you get a ten percent increase in salary and a promotion and whatever. Then in seven years, the math is because of compounding, you'll you'll two x your salary, <laughs> which sounds okay, but it's not. You know, it's not going out, quitting your job, being an entrepreneur, and ten xing. You know what you're worth, which 
is scary and and often seems impossible. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, main main thing here with two X's is that you can keep the eighty percent. You don't have to change that much. You can keep pretty much who you are. Whereas the ten X, and this goes to your your question, how do you define or identify the eighty versus the twenty? Well, you can't if the goal is too small. So if the goal is linear, if the goal is to go two X, right? It's very hard to sift out the 80 from the 20 if the goal is so small because you really don't have to change that much to go for 2x. And so you don't have to be that honest. That goes back to my son with all the tennis coaches, right? But if you make the goal massively bigger, so big that it's it's like if the goal is 10 times bigger, then almost nothing you're doing right now will get you there. Almost everything you're doing right now will not get you to 10x. And so by making the goal bigger, it will help you actually start to be a lot more honest about the 80%, that most of what you're doing right now is actually an utter distraction from that goal. And therefore, it actually helps illuminate the 20% that's actually useful, relevant, that you want to go all in on. And I think it's, it's, it's like as an example, like when I, back when I was in um, my PhD program, this was like back in 2015 when I was starting to write on Medium. You know, and I remember reading your old posts on Medium and stuff like that. Like Medium was kind of my initial heyday. But my goal, call it my 10x, my future self. Uh, and by the way, this fits really well with the philosophy of Michelangelo. And, I, you know, we talk about, you know, him in the introduction of the book. But the Pope asked him, what's the secret of the genius behind your, your David? And he said, I took away everything that's not the David. How I look at it is your 10x future self is the David. And your past self is the 80% that you have to strip away and eliminate in order to go to like go all in on the 20% and get 10 times better, which is what gets you to the David. But like back to myself, my 10x future self back then was to become a pro writer. So I wanted to get a six-figure book deal with one of the major publishers. But back then I had zero website, zero platform. I'd never written a blog post, but I asked those, like I asked agents and professional authors People like Ryan Holiday and others like that I know you know very well. I asked, like, how do you actually get like a six-figure book deal? And they helped me identify my 20%, which was, well, you got to start like blogging. You got to build an email list. And so I started taking online courses and I learned I had to get 10 times better at writing headlines and like building an email list. So like I, my 10 times goal is what identified my 20%. But in order to actually go 10x, you have to get 10 times better in that 20%. So it's it's really about quality over quantity. You 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 eliminate the 80% and you focus on, 10 times higher quality. And that's actually what opens up the 10 times quantity. It's interesting because, um, you know, you talk a lot about quantity versus quality in the book and we'll talk more about that. But when you made that 10 X goal of getting a six figure book deal, okay. You had never done that before, but it seems within the realm of possibility. Maybe from where you're sitting, but not from where I was sitting. Okay. But how do you call, how, how would you call bullshit on yourself? If what, okay. what would have been a 10 X goal that, would not have been possible for you, you think? I mean, I, I you know, maybe make a million dollars that year. You know, but that wasn't, but but the thing about quote unquote 10X or even just your own next level, whatever that is, is, is it has to be relevant with what you want. So like what may be exciting to you may be non-interesting to me. And so like, you know, my future self and what I wanted was to become a professional author and from where I was as a graduate research assistant, first year, no website, never written a blog, um, to become a professional author and like the 1% of 1% that gets a six-figure plus book deal from one of the major publishers, like that was a pretty far cry. I mean, maybe I could do it in five or 10 years, but I couldn't have done it in two years, which is what it took me. So, I mean, it was a leap. I mean, and it, it was a pretty big leap. I, I mean, a lot of people would actually, a lot of the agents actually did tell me, they did call me out. They're like, this is going to take you like 10 or 15 years. Oh my gosh. That's ridiculous. 
<laughs> well, I had no website. I had no, I had zero emails. Like I'd never written a blog post. And I'm like, I want to get a six figure book deal. They're like, well, you don't even have a single email. Like, of course, this is going to take you like a decade. A lot of this also is, is related to mindset. Like you mentioned, you know, you have to want this. You also have to, uh, and you mentioned also in, in the book, you have to find your unique ability. And what if someone's just sort of, and I'm, I'm kind of taking a worst case scenario, and then I want to cover. A lot I of love it. I, this is why I love talking to you, James. It's fun. <laughs> like, what if you're just feeling just down and out? And I'm not so extreme that you're home, not that you're not that you're homeless or sick or anything, but you're just, you know, you're working some job, you don't like your boss, you feel really down and low in confidence. You know, Michelangelo, he had a lot of confidence. He was able to say to his dad in your story that you tell in the book. He was able to say his dad, oh, I got this commission to work on this statue, you know, so I have to work. His dad wanted him to just do the family business or whatever. And, <laughs> but Michelangelo, he had a lot of confidence in himself and that's possible when you're young. Let's say someone's listening to this, they're in their forties or fifties or whatever. They're working as some job they don't really like that much. They have a two X thinking and they're listening to this and they're like, well, I always wanted to be a golf player and make money. Could that be a 10x goal for them? And then if so- 100%. If that's what they really want, 100%. Well, then how do they get the confidence for that though when everything they've done up to this point has been 2x? They, just, they don't even know how to have the mindset, the 10x mindset. So a couple of things when it comes to confidence. From a psychological standpoint, yeah, confidence feels good, but it's really, it's, it's how you look at your past. So as an example, like for this person, this dude who's sad, upset, wants to be a golfer, hates his job, one thing that's really useful is to reflect on all the times he's already gone 10x because like he actually has. And like I, I define 10x more as a qualitative transformation more so than a quantitative. For example, going from crawling to walking. Like to me, I see that as a 10x. You've just gone through a quantum leap and now all of a sudden you have all these new potentials. And so like if he was to look back on his past and say, where, where are all the ways where I'm where I'm 10 times better, maybe 10 times more loving, maybe I've like maybe I know 10 times more than my past self did, then he can actually see that he has actually done it before. And, and that actually is what starts to build confidence. When it comes to like building confidence towards your future self, you can only like borrow so much confidence from your past. You actually have to commit before you get that confidence. Con you know, and this is something Dan Sullivan actually breaks down what he calls his four C's. You know, you got commitment. And then once you commit, that leads to courage. Over time through courage, trial and error, and you're actually like trying something, uh, you eventually build capabilities. And that capability is what gives you confidence. A lot of times we want the confidence first to take action, but really... You just don't have that. Most of us don't always have the confidence to take the first steps. Usually we have to actually like commit first and go for courage and courage doesn't always feel that great. And so like we have to yeah. be willing to try, fail. Like he's got to be willing to put himself out there and start committing towards <laughs> towards the future self of of going for for that like golf, making money in golf. He's going to have to commit, be courageous, fail, learn, invest in it and eventually he's going to start to develop skills that are going to get him closer to that 10x. He might have to let go of some of the things that are his distractions that are keeping him from practicing, right? So that's going to become a big part of his 20% that he's going to get 10 times better at. But eventually, if he gets better at it, he's going to have a lot of confidence. Confidence builds over time. Yeah. So you're saying you have to do and get better and have courage and commit. And then the confidence, confidence is a byproduct. Confidence is a byproduct. Yeah. But I feel like you can't get better at something without confidence either. Yeah. I mean, so I would ask this guy, like, does he have absolutely zero confidence in his ability to get any better at, at golf? Like if he, if he literally doesn't believe he, if he has no belief that he can get any better, then it's going to be tough for him to like take that goal seriously. 
Like, and so the question would be, well, do you absolutely, truly, truly want that? Like, is that absolutely? He said, yeah, but I have zero belief I can do it. Um, then like we would have to, like he would have to start really small. Like he would have to like freaking learn how to pick up a golf club. So Tony Robbins once gave me an example where he had to teach a bunch of Marines to shoot a rifle better. And he had never done this before, but then what he did was he put the target two feet in front of them. So they all hit bullseyes. Then he moved the target one foot back. They all hit bullseyes. Then he moved the target to five feet. They all hit bullseyes until finally when it was at 50 feet or hundred feet, they were the best group in the whole Marines. So, yeah, I mean, I think that like, that's like ground one is like, so the 10 X may be, and I'm not saying he has to go 10 X tomorrow. I'm saying maybe his 10 X though, over the next three or four years is getting to the point where he's getting paid playing golf. Right. And if, and so like, yeah, then it's going to define out his 20%. And like, can he start making some steps today? And maybe if he does, maybe those, maybe him taking three or four steps is 10 times more steps than he took yesterday. Cause maybe now, yesterday might, he took zero steps. Yeah, no, this is, this is, this is really important. I mean, and look, this is kind of this, what I sometimes refer to as the 1% effect, which is that if you just improve 1% in a day, which is such a small goal, if you improve at something 1% a day, you're going to be, you know, again, through compounding 3,800% better in a year, 38x better in a year. So starting off taking these small chunks, like let's say you want to be a great writer. Okay. That all that might mean is you read a short story by Ernest Hemingway and you then write like a thousand words and probably you're a 1% better writer that day. But I do think it's important that the goal shapes the 20% and that over time, that 20% that 20% becomes increasingly who you are and you get deeper and deeper into that 20%. And eventually that 20% becomes your life. And you have, and you do back to the Michelangelo example, you do start uncommitting to things in order to go deeper into this thing. And so even though it may start as 1% over time, it becomes more and more of a priority where you actually do commit to mastery and you do, you know, you can't stay, you know, doing one push up a day forever. So like over time you do need to you know, if it is something you want to do, if this guy really is going to take golf seriously, it's going to become a part of his 20%, but eventually it's going to be his hundred percent. If he actually takes it that seriously, where he gets to the point where actually this is something you can do. And actually you are going to quit that job. You're going to let it go that 80%. And so eventually it does become your life. If you've, you, you do got to reach that place of commitment and mastery. Eventually, I'm not saying you're going to get better hundred percent every day, but over time, you know, you have to focus on it. It has to become something you actually care about enough to like, let go of other things. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like, if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see, you'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So you mentioned Dan Sullivan, okay? You mentioned how in 19, I think it was 1977, he got divorced and went broke all on the same day. Tell his story of how he kind of, I mean, that must also be a big hit on confidence, of course. So not only did he get divorced and go broke, but he probably also lost all his confidence. He just wasn't winning in life. He was a loser at that point. <laughs> and I've been a loser many times, so I know what it feels like. And it's very hard to kind of climb out of that initial ditch to see, you might only be like six feet down in the ditch, but you don't realize that there's an entire world out there because you're so down. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things he did, and by the way, from like a 
from like a trauma standpoint or like, you know, your past is either an asset or a liability, right? So even for Dan, him going bankrupt and him, you know, getting divorced. Yeah. In the moment, man, that's trash. Yeah, you're right. His confidence is shook and shattered. But, and if you view it always as a liability, then you view, then like that experience, that past is always depleting you. It's always costing you. You're always worse off because that experience happened. Whereas if you can flip it into an asset, then it's it. And that takes time. Trust me. Post-traumatic growth isn't something that's like immediate, but like if you can start to get something out of it and learn from it and realize that you're not the same guy who just made that mistake, I think you do really have to like start like when you're that low with what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, you do really have to start small. Like you have to start to like, you know, actually see where you've made progress. Like one of the cool components of the research on past self, present self, future self is like, obviously one is, is like turning your past more and more and more into an asset. Right. So it's like, you know, I flopped this talk as an example, rather than just being mad at myself. And I can be, but eventually, if I want it to be useful, I can start to like say, well, what can I do to be better, right? Like, how can I turn that into a positive experience? Even though like in the moment it sucked, how can I turn it into something that's really useful? But also, how can I see that I'm not the same guy? Like, I now know better. Now I know things my past that's self didn't key. know. Like, what, like, because you could say to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm going to keep making this mistake every time I go up to do a public talk. No, you're not the same person. Like, I think that that's like, there's a lot of research on that, but like, I think that's just a useful insight that you're not even the same person you were at the beginning of this day. Like, you now know things your past self didn't even know when you started the day. And it's really useful to continually acknowledge that. And, and to say like, I wouldn't do things the exact same way I would have this morning. Like, I, 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 I'm not mad at my past self. I have empathy for my past self and the choices they were making, but I now understand things from a different perspective. And so I wouldn't do those same things. I'm not mad. You know, I'm, uh, I'm empathetic and actually I'm grateful for my past self, but I am different and I would do things different and I can do things different. So maybe tell more stories of like, like I like the story of uh, Tim Schmidt you tell kind of halfway or two thirds through the book uh, uh, with his business, how it was kind of just steady, stable, not really moving, but then he, you know, really got, got this 10X mindset. So Tim Schmidt's a pretty rad dude. I mean, one of the interesting things about 10X is, is like, if you actually take it, like, just like actually allow yourself to like, even just play with the idea. Most people won't even play with it, right? Like um, Daniel Gilbert, the Harvard psychologist said, most people just don't even imagine a different future. Most people, they take the present and they say, oh, the future is going to be pretty much the same. Um, just like they take the past and say that the past is pretty much the same as the present. So, so Tim, he was, so the only reason I say that is a bigger future is ultimately going to force you to doing something pretty different. He was more of a, uh, engineer dude. And he was running a business for like 10 years, very two X. Like they were almost making no progress. He was also like a micromanager, not a very good leader, admittedly. So like he didn't trust his people. He was the bottleneck always doing everything. And, um, they also were not very specific, you know, back to the idea of the 80 versus the 20, like they were not defined in what they did, who they did it for. Like they took any job that they could get. So like they were very mediocre. They focused on quantity, not quality. Um, and he just wasn't a good leader. He wasn't developing himself, wasn't developing his thinking. He was getting no better. Um, and he just admits that. And so what happened for him was, is that he actually had a kid, right? And, um, that led him to like thinking about protecting his son. And so that made him want to go get a gun. He'd never had a gun before. And that got hit, and he had a horrible experience. This kind of reminds me, by the way, and by the way, I look at 10X kind of like a, like the hero's journey. Like every time you go 10X, it's kind of like a hero's journey. Like you get some call, right? You got to be called to something new. Uh, and then you're going to, you know, resist that call. And that's your 80%. You're going to revert back to your former self and stuff like that. But for him, his kind of incident that led him to kind of thinking about having a new perspective was having the kid. 
and then having a horrible experience trying to buy a gun. Like they didn't, anyways, it led him to like trying to like find the laws and stuff. And he ended up starting to study it on the side. He was still running his terrible, you know, engineering business and making no growth. But ultimately, like the key aspects of him going 10X and, you know, to fast forward, he ended up creating a, a company that provides education and even now insurance for gun owners. You know, this is this is a company that has like 700,000 clients right now, like active clients. Like he's gone 10X a million times since then. Like he's his company's worth billions of dollars, you know? And, but um, he, you know, his he had to clarify his 20%, you know? He had to clarify that this is what I'm going to focus on. Eventually he let go of his business. He, uh, you know, he, he took out money and took risk and invested in in the new business. He he developed himself into a leader and started to hire people that he could trust. And he started to trust himself to be in his own lane and actually like have a team and like like trust them and like let them have ownership. Um, there's a lot of research on this and like transformational leadership theory where like first off you have to trust yourself. Like trans uh, leadership is really two things: it's trust and transformation. And if you don't trust yourself, then you're not going to like go deep and transform yourself, but you're also not going to trust others to like manage things and like own things rather than you like needing to like hold on to everything and govern it and, you know, essentially like squander things. And so he, he just developed himself into a massive leader and he gave massive trust to his people. And then he transformed himself. He, he just developed himself, got better and better at what he did, learned more and more about how to provide value. Eventually he focused on quality over quantity too. He raised the prices dramatically. Like there was an episode where they had a ton of clients and they weren't really like he could tell that like at least half of them were just like not the full right fit. So he literally like tripled the price. And in one day, half of his clients left, but he tripled the price. And so technically they were making more money with half the clients, but they were also more of the right fit clients, higher quality, less quantity. And so he, he just focused on like who he wanted to serve and getting better and better for them. I like how, I like his principles. Like, and you mentioned the story, like what's the origin story of the business? What's his origin story? And he kind of like, started at the bottom, you know, had trouble getting a gun and suddenly made a business that revolves around this. Then, then he talks about ideology. <laughs> uh, you know, he, there needs to be a mission and purpose in your organization that's based on goosebumps and stuff. And he, then he talks about a symbol. So may, maybe explain some of these things like symbol and shared rituals and so on. So like, these are a lot of like Tim Schmidt's perspectives and principles, which I think are epic as well. Um, like I would say that these are not like the core aspect of, of 10X, but like they're like they're the like the philosophies that he did use. I'm trying to remember all of the aspects of what he did. Like he talked about like rituals. What, what else did he have? I mean, you got to listen in front of you. I, I forget his story specifically. Yeah, there's there's the enemy. You have to have an enemy. <laughs> yeah. So, but but okay, I like uh, that. Like, like yeah. you know, I, I sell I sell, you know, courses and stuff about investing in one of my businesses. And the enemy is all the media and government that tries to basically keep everyone down or, or fool people or whatever. You have to have uh, your own particular insider language. Um, so I don't, I'm not quite sure what he means there, but it's, it's, I could vaguely understand it. Uh, and you have to have a good leader. Well, one of the things that he talks about in this that I think is really interesting is he says that like the main things that people are buying from you is he calls it psychographic alignment, which is basically like people are buying belonging, like they're buying community, they're buying culture. So like, for example, he has a company that teaches, teaches people like gun education and also gets them insurance for, for like gun protection. And so the main thing he like that's that, that stuff stuff that people sort of want, but what they really want is to like be aligned with people who are like them. And so he actually more sells the idea of like community and being around people that you want to be with 
and you get all these other things that are useful on top of that. And yeah, so like, that's really powerful. It is like, if you think about your, like the people who buy your courses, right. Or the people who read your books, like if you focus on like a al like aligning them, like psychologically with like your values and principles, that's part of having the enemy is like showing like, these are the bad, like you're starting to get alignment with people and, and then helping them build belonging and community with people that are, that they perceive to be like them. That's actually what makes it sticky. And, and then that actually is what allows the things you're selling to be perceived as valuable. Yeah. So I'm trying to think like, you know, sometimes I do something and I'm almost afraid to 10 exit because the thought of failure is too overwhelming. Like if you really want something and you put your all into it and then it just doesn't work, you're going to be left thinking like, what, what the hell did I just do with the past several years or all that time or whatever. Is that truly how you think about it though? Sometimes. I mean, I would say I'm the sort of person who has unnatural confidence in myself most of the time. Like, <laughs> I, 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 watch, I, I watch a lot of what you do and I'm fetching. I, I love it, dude. <laughs> I, I have a it's severe crazy. case of, of Dunning-Kruger bias where I'll <laughs> just naturally think I'm better than I am until I finally get to where I want to be. So I'm just like an idiot for many years. And then suddenly, um, you know, like I started writing and I know I was really bad. But for 10 years, I thought I was great until I finally got a little bit good. And... And that's after writing every single day, boring all of my friends to tears with all of my writing. They had to read everything. I remember, this is like in the 90s. One time I wrote a novel. I had my girlfriend read it. And then I quizzed her about the ending and she couldn't even remember the ending. And I was just so upset and she was crying. Like, I'm sorry, I, couldn't, I can't remember. And I just sucked, but I had this unnatural confidence. But now I think I'm older and maybe I've lost a little bit of that swagger. And so, so yeah, I think now I have a little bit more, I'm a little bit more familiar with imposter syndrome, which is sort of the opposite of confidence. And I'm a little more familiar with being afraid, uh, you know, fear of launching because what if it doesn't work? I actually wonder, why would you say you have more imposter syndrome now than you did in the past? And why would you be more afraid of it not working than it did in the past? I don't know. I guess experience because I've seen... I've seen failure, you know, up front and up very close. And I've bounced back from it. I've 10x from it most of the time, but sometimes you just can't. And you don't want to deal with going back to the bottom again or something or what? Right. Yeah. I'm afraid. And and look, this is not with every aspect of my life. I think I still have a lot of confidence in most things, particularly like things that I have already become an expert in. Like let's say writing is an example, or you know, other other, you know, business or podcasting. I feel like I've already, you know, I had a commitment to mastery. It took many years. I paid my dues, even though I'm not a big believer in the notion of paying dues. And Dunning-Kruger bias helped me through the down points where I thought to myself, I'm so great at this. This is just a temporary problem that I'm having right now. And so that gave me an, an, an unnatural confidence to, to 10X. But now I have seen cases where, A, a lot of people who, ha who have goals fail at them. And I've seen myself kind of have ups and downs that I, I was wasn't I was sort of lucky that I got out of them, or or maybe in some cases I didn't get out of them. This is kind of a, an interesting question, but like at this point in your life, James, like do you feel called to something? You know, in the past, 
you 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 felt inspired and very purposeful like thinking about victor frankel right victor frankel man search for meaning like you know obviously they're in a really hot like horrid environment but like the core thing he said was like you need to see some sense of purpose or calling that even gives you reason to have meaning and even shot to believe to move forward and obviously that's what gave the people the grit and resilience who did survive the ones who lost that sense of calling mission purpose and so i just wonder like do you feel like you even have anything like that right now that's calling you forward like that gives you a reason to even consider failing and you know in facing that imposter syndrome do you even have that right now would you say yeah absolutely and i and i always make sure i have that in every area of, of my life otherwise why do something because for instance why do a podcast if if i don't have a real like a, like a, like a mission like what i'm trying to do which is you know talking to people like you talking to people like richard branson what they do what are the techniques for succeeding for 10xing their life and i feel not enough people are talking about this so people get diluted by the main story which is the 2x thinking you described and you know or or just the normal path the uh, which most people think is the natural path but but it isn't but for instance i'm about to launch a course about writing so write and publish your first book in 30 days is the title of the course which is almost like a 10x kind of title like first of all writing a book is a 10x thing <laughs> publishing a book is a 10x thing and i'm saying do it in 30 days and i'm going to show you exactly how step by step but i'm i feel like the course is ready i'm i'm but i feel in myself and i've never really felt this before i'm almost afraid to launch because what if it just doesn't sell the way I, I hoped it would. And I real, this is something I feel really strongly about. There's, there's probably nothing I've done in life more than writing. And this is my course about it. And so I really wanted to do well. So uh, number one, you going 10X the many times you have in the past, I think, is it possible we could agree that you had some sense of purpose that we're talking about, goal, that identified to some degree, let's call it a 20% focus that you eventually focused on, developed some form of mastery, and you let go of a lot of aspects of your past life to ultimately go all in on that thing and achieve the goal. You've done that, would you say? Oh, you yeah. followed you followed that process to some degree a few or many different times. Absolutely. Uh, everything you do, and and you, it's interesting. I never really thought about it, but every I, I've written a lot about the process of, of mastery and success, but I never really thought about it as in terms of subtraction. But you're right. There's huge sacrifice. You, everything you're going to master involves some sacrifice. Writing meant that three to four hours a day or more, I had to sit at a desk and type instead of like hanging out with friends or family or, to be honest, just starting a business and making money. You, you don't make money the first bunch of years you're, you're writing. Even when you get your six-figure advance, by the way, you don't make any money. You're going to get it in four chunks over three years possibly. <laughs> and then it's going to be taxed and your agent's going to take 20% before it's taxed. And it's very hard to make money as a writer. You have to figure out how to, then you're going to, yeah, it's great to get the six figure advance and that sounds good. But even making what seems like a huge advance, when you really cut and slice it up, it's, 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 it's not as much of a living as people think. I, I couldn't agree with you more. No, I mean, I'm, I'm with you on that. I guess here's here's my kind of point with all of the imposter syndrome and the fear and stuff is this. How I look at it is the 80%, which is your past self. It's all the busyness. I actually look at it as it's security. It could be your habits. It could be your, your, 
take this as a crazy idea, but maybe one at one point in the future, your podcast might go into your 80%. I'm not saying it does now. I'm saying at some point, maybe your future becomes a filter that says, this got me here, it won't get me there. I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I'm just saying it's possible that that could happen. That's just hypothetical. Yeah, yeah. I all, but, but all I'm saying is, is the 80%, whatever you're holding on to, could be beliefs, friends, situations, behaviors, even just ways in which you make money. That's your security blankets that you turn to when you don't want to face the freedom of your future self and the freedom of what you want, that calling of, you know, in this case, it could be launching this course and helping people write, right? Like maybe that fits in your 20%, maybe not. Maybe it's honestly an 80% pet project. I don't think it is because I think that you really are serious about this. Yeah, I mean, I shot all the video. I, I put the whole course is put together. Like the course is literally done and it's actually on the learning sites. I just haven't launched it. I just haven't said to anybody that it exists. Well, so well, you're telling everyone right now, which is pretty awesome. I think it's great. Like it really will. I'm not trying to advertise either. It sounds like I'm making an advertiser. <laughs> it literally will make you write a book, in, a good quality book in 30 days. But like the way I would launch something is I'd write an article about it and do a podcast about it and go on other people's podcasts and so on. And I'm just, a, somehow I'm just afraid to make that leap. Let's talk about this. Do you want this Thing to be bigger than courses you've launched in the past. Like, what's your actual goal for this course? What's yeah, your hope for? What's your huge. plan? Okay, for sweet. Me. So this, so you want this to be a 10x course? Yeah. Awesome. So like, as an example, let's just say you do launch it at some point and you get some great result or some low result, right? Do we agree that it's in your 20%? Yeah. Even if it doesn't do well, would it still be in your 20%? I don't know. That's maybe what I'm a little afraid of. Even if the initial launch doesn't go well, are you still committed to it or are you are you not committed to it? I could say I'm committed to it, but I'm afraid I'm afraid to feel disappointed. You're afraid to be disappointed in a single launch in an instant. You're not but the question is and this goes back to the 10 years of writing and stuff like that and even all your life of investing, did any one of those specific failures matter if you were committed to something bigger? No, you're right. And it's it's like it's like the guy who plays golf or your son who plays tennis. If he loses one tournament in tennis, does you know he might be disappointed the next day. He might cry himself to sleep that night or whatever. But it's but three days later, he's he's back on the court exercising harder than ever. That's I mean that's turn that's turning the experience into an asset rather than a liability. If you're all disappointed and attached to it and stuff like that, then you've already framed it as a failure, and now you're worse off because it happened, and now you're stuck. Whereas like, you know it's really interesting. Like you can want something without needing it. Like if you think you need it to be successful, then you've made yourself a slave to it. And therefore you're not free. That's a good point. So it's the making sure you don't need it. Well, needing is an attachment, by the way. Needing is an unhealthy attachment. You can be committed to something without being unhealthily attached. You can be fully committed to having this thing become successful and have zero attachment to how this launch goes. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. If a friend asks how you're doing, 
And you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. So you wanted to have a six-figure advance on the book and a little bit that like money is related to necessity, right? And isn't related to freedom. So to some extent, well, I guess what you have to do is make sure you don't need it for the money in order to get it. So you had to have like well, other jobs. Well, and Well, here's what, what it was in my case is in my case, I was a graduate student making $12,000 per year. Yeah. So I was making a thousand bucks a month. I was making no money. And we had recently become foster parents of three kids. And so money was becoming more of a relevant concept to my future than it was, you know, what got me here in the past. It was like, well, I just want to get into the grad program. I was not caring about money. Like that was not a relevant factor, but with my, that situation then, and also with my values and kind of what mattered to me at that point, it, it was a factor. It did matter to me. And so, but I also wanted to do what I loved. And so I factored all those things in and that's what shaped my process or my, you know, call it your deliberate practice. But I mean, yeah. So, I mean, it was a part of the factor, but it, that doesn't mean that money has to be a part of my 10x now it can be and it can be the only thing like if that's what i want that can be the core factor but it doesn't have to be even if there it, it is connected to something you need you kind of have to give up the need and focus on the want well the truth is is i didn't need it like i could have still stayed in my grad program and i could have racked up some debt and then i could have become a consultant like other people who got phd's in organizational psychology like i didn't need to become a professional writer i certainly didn't need a six figure book deal i wanted those things like yeah. I could have found ways to get money in different ways. I could have taken on more student debt, you know? So like, it's not like I needed a six-figure book deal. I wanted it, but it did, you're right. By getting it, it would create more of the freedoms I wanted, which is now I can let go of the university position, which I pretty much did. Now that I was a professor, but like, I didn't have any jobs. Like the money, yeah, although not as much as people think, as you said, it still afforded me the freedom to just write the book and not need to think about money. And so that freedom created space, time, uh, and I was doing what I wanted and I did feel like I could provide for my family in the way I wanted to. So the want, which was the money, created the freedoms that are the, are the freedoms I personally wanted. Sometimes in order to, to do the 10X, you need the freedoms as well. Explain. Like, for instance, you, needing is an attachment, like you said. So you need freedom from these attachments. So it's much easier to focus on, let's say, building a business, writing a book, being a stand-up comic, being a golf bro, or if you don't need the money, or if you don't need uh, <laughs> to spend 20 hours a day with your social relationships. I don't know if you need a lot of those things, though. Like, as an example, like if I have, you know, this guy who we were talking about, the golf guy, right? He, he's got a job. He's got a family. So he's not going to just bail on his family to go to the golf because the family actually is a higher priority. But the golf really matters. And so he's not going to bail on the job, but he is going to let go of some aspects of his 80%, right? Maybe it's distractions, maybe it's certain friends, and he's going to actually, he's still going to go to work because he values that. He wants the family, right? Doesn't need it. He wants the family more than he wants golf. Yeah. And so he's going to keep the job because he wants the family. And he wants to provide for them. Not need, want. But he wants golf, and golf is becoming increasingly important. And so it's becoming part of his 20% that he really values. And so he's going to let go of some of the other things that he doesn't need, that he doesn't want. And, that, and that's going to become more of an investment until maybe eventually he gets to a point or he gets to a point of either, you know, 
or either a, a place of confidence or truly a place of just situation where maybe that job now is not even something that he thinks he needs or even wants because now he has, you know, he's going to go for this. So, I mean, I, I, I just think it's a, like the language we use is pretty important. And it's like, he may not actually need that. Like a lot of the things you might think you need, you actually just want. Or if you think you need them, they might actually be stopping you from what you want. I like this concept also of kind of distancing yourself from the task in a little bit, like in the, in the sense of, you know, building the, what you call the self-managed company. Can you talk about that a little bit? Dude, I think that's essential. That's essential. Yeah. There's like a classic Dan Sullivan concept, but like, there's like so much, uh, psychological research to back it up. So like as an example, and this is mostly for entrepreneurs, but I think it's, it's kind of true for everyone. We all need space, right? You need space to like process your thinking space to go in the 20% space to digest things problem with most entrepreneurs is that they're the bottlenecks in their business. They're in their business, not working on it. And so they're involved in every touch point. Like they're, they're first off, they're managing their team and that stunts their team taking ownership and having freedom and, and trusting themselves and stuff. So, so leadership is really two things. It's just, it's about trust and transformation. You got to trust yourself first. So the leader at some points got to trust themselves to free themselves from a task or from thinking about things. A lot of it's about freeing your attention so that you no longer are overly obsessive and knowing everything that's going on. You actually allowed your mind to be free from that so that you could go deep. I don't know. Have you ever read the book, by the way, called Catching the Big Fish? No. So it's a phenomenal book, Catching the Big Fish. And it's all about consciousness and about how consciousness and creativity are like the ocean. And if you're at the surface, what that means is that all you can see is the small fish up at the top. In order to go deep, 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 deep and catch the big fish, um, you got to like remove, you know, and this kind of just goes to the idea of attention that if your attention is so spread thin and you're so caught up in everything going on, not only are you coddling the team and the business, but you're also coddling your attention from going deep down and catching the big fish, which are big idea, big ideas, big insights, big transformations. So for the leader, they've got to actually like free themselves up. And, and in order to do that, they've got to trust themselves. And then once they've trusted themselves, they can actually go deep so that they can transform themselves. Dr. Alan Bernard calls it return on attention. Because if you're up at the surface, if you're caught in 80%, if you're just overly busy, then you're not getting a big return on your attention because you're just scraping the surfaces. It's only by going deep that you get a big return on your attention, meaning like you get big insights, big transformations. It's interesting. So it's almost like, like you refer to this, like 10x the quality of everything you do, like does kind of put it through this filter. Is this activity I'm about to do going to help me achieve this 10x goal? Like I remember when, um, again, when I was just starting to write published books, I went to dinner with some friends and they kept saying, oh, they have this idea. They're going to write these books. But here we were out at dinner. It was like 9 p.m., then 10 p.m., then 11 p.m. And I'm thinking to myself, how are they ever going to write their books if they're going out to dinner every night like this till you know midnight every night? Because it was rare for me to go out to dinner because I knew- That was their 80%. <laughs> and so sometimes I think people get stuck in the 80% or think that they need this social activity or they feel lonely or whatever. But you have to really put this 10x filter like, I love TV. So I have to ask, if I'm watching TV from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. every night, will this help me achieve you know, my 10x goal? Probably not. But I love TV, so maybe I say, okay, 7 to 8 p.m., I'll, I'll do the TV, and then you know, I free up two hours there, and, and so on, on and on with all your activities. You kind of have to improve the quality of everything you do, and then it becomes much easier to it's easier to get rid of stuff in this sense than to, to add stuff. 
Well, it's back to Michelangelo. You got to strip away everything that's not the David and also higher goals have less potentials, you know, like there's less coaches that are going to get my son to, to pro. And so 80% of what you're doing is a distraction if, if you've got the higher goal. Um, but also this is just kind of a, a, a time thing, like the psychology of time. So people, a lot of people say live in the present and ignore the past, ignore the future. Truth is, is that your ex- full experience in the present is based on how you frame the past and how you frame the future. If you've got a, a past that you view as a liability and essentially like a, an unresolved past, of course, that's going to impact your present and future. Right. If you if you have no goals, of course, that's going to impact your present. You're probably going to be distracted, just chilling. The only reason I bring this up is, is that most people, and there's a lot of research on this, most people project the past onto the present. What that means is that they say that the, the reason the present is the way it is is because of the past. Right. They say that the past causes the present. Psychologically, it's actually the opposite. Uh, one of my favorite psychologists, he said, it's more accurate to say that the present causes the meaning of the past than to say that the past causes the meaning of the present. So what, what that means is that in the present, you're always reshaping and, and remodeling the past or at least reconstructing it. But the same is true of the future. So most people, they project the present onto the future, meaning like they're, they're going to use the present to determine what they do in the future or, or like what their goals are. And what, what's a lot more useful is actually to take the desired future, some, some imagined future. Albert Einstein said imagination is more important than knowledge. And think about what you actually want and project the future onto the present. That's that whole idea of what you were just saying with filter. Like actually let the, the future you want dictate who you are and what you do and what you say yes to and what you say no to in the present. It's the future that's dictating the present, not the present that's dictating the future. That is such an important concept actually. Like, and I, I, it reminds me of, of day trading. So for a long time, I was a, a day trader. And there's a, a big tendency when you're a day trader that on the day you lose money, you think to yourself, oh my God, if I have the next 30 days in a row like this, I'm going to be broke. And, and then when you win money, oh, this is great. If I do this 250 days a year, I'm going to be making, you know, tens of millions of dollars. And the reality is some days are good and some days are bad. It's not like, <laughs> but, but you tend to think whatever your day was this day, you projected out like every day is going to be like that. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's just not true. You realize very quickly, it's just not, neither that's true, but you have to convince yourself of that every single day. I think that's hilarious. And I think we all do that. And, and like if the fight part is like, like the research actually shows that we do that. Like we, we actually overly assume that the future is going to be like the present when in the reality, the future is going to be very different. Even your future self in five, 10 years from now is going to be way more different than you are, than you think they will be. Yeah. He's going to be an alcoholic in a homeless shelter. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but. What is he going to value? What is he going to care about? Maybe he's going to be like deep into like, you know what I mean? Like knitting hats or like, yeah. you know, deep in, deep into religion. I don't know, deep into religion. Like the point here is, is that your future self is going to be very different than you think. And then you want to start thinking about, well, how different and what type of different. And then, and then you start thinking about taking that future and, and actually reverse engineering it and using it as the filter for not only your decisions in the present, but also your identity in the present. And, um, you know, uh, Daniel Gilbert, he gave this epic TED talk called The Psychology of Your Future Self. You know, he's a Harvard psychologist, but he basically just said, most people are not even thinking about their future self and they're overly projecting their present self onto their future self, meaning that they just assume that their future self is the same dude that they are today. Truth is your future self's radically different, um, but most people are just not even imagining it. Key though is, is to start imagining it and you can stretch it because higher goals are, as we've already talked about, simpler and easier than small goals because the higher goals actually weed out the 80% and allow you to make harder decisions which actually make it easier. That's so fascinating that the harder goals actually 
are they're simpler. more, but yeah, they're actually more possible because it gives you a roadmap. They're practical. Like, okay. They, so if your goals are too simple, that's a roadmap also. Like, okay, I'm just going to stay at my job. I'm going to do well every day. I'm going to show up to work and I'm going to get a five to 10% raise every year. So that's a simple roadmap. <laughs> but the other roadmap, which you just described the 10 X roadmap is kind of just a simple or more, or more simple because like, if I wanted to be 15% better every year, I might not even know what that means, but to be 10 X <laughs> better at something to master something, it, it means like you say in the book, and like you said on this podcast, you have to do things very different than the way you're doing things now. And so it actually then restrict, okay, if I watch three hours of Netflix, clearly that is not on the path to tennis mastery. If I, if I, <laughs> if I'm also taking, I also love t playing the piano too. Well, that might not help you become a master at tennis. So that's eliminated. <laughs> so it actually really does give a good, the higher, the, the more difficult the goal. If I want to make 10 million a year instead of 1 million a year in my in revenues in my business, it's very clear that you need to either raise prices or have more customers and will watching the Netflix or going on a road trip every weekend to an amusement park, that's probably not going to help you 10x your revenue. So you could, it gives you a pretty clear roadmap. But the thing about it is, is that people, when they think 10x, they still think linearly. They're still actually thinking 2x. The average person, if they say, if, they're, if their business is making a million and they want to go to 10 million, they'll actually still think linearly, which is 2x, where they'll, they'll think in terms of more, not better. Right. So they'll think, I, they'll think I need, oh, I need 10 times as many customers, which is exactly. the wrong way to think. That, yeah, they'll, yeah, that's thinking 2x. They'll think linear, which is thinking from the past. Oh, I just need to do 10 times more of what I'm doing when it's actually like, no, actually, if you start to think about it from 10 million, what, what actually needs to be true from 10 million? And it's not going to be more. It's actually usually going to be less. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, let me ask you about your son's example. So like to be a tennis pro in his training, what should he no longer do? Well, so he actually got asked this lately. And, and truth be told, he's not even, I don't even think his goal is to go pro. So like, you know, we only use this as a hypothetical to say like, is your current path going to get there? But if he wanted to go pro, there are so many things like there, there's a lot in his 80% that he'd have to let go of. Like he actually would have to play more tennis. He would have, he would have to play more tennis. He, he'd have to play less video games kind of back to your original point with the Netflix. But there's, there's things that would be in his 20% that he's not focused on now. One of them he said is cardio, like the better and better you get, you need to be in amazing shape because you need to like be able to chase down balls and stuff like the pros have insane cardio versus the college people. Um, like they're so much better. So, right. So, so actually sometimes he can't just play a casual game of tennis because he should be working on cardio those times instead of playing like, Oh, just a game I mean, with a there's friend. nothing, there's, by the way, there's nothing wrong with having recovery. Like this is actually a big aspect of going 10 X is, is that like, and, and like, so like flow is two things. Flow is focus, but flow is also recovery. Like often a, a lot of like, for example, if he's never actually resting and recovering, he's probably not getting a lot better. Right. If you study people like LeBron James and stuff, like they highly prioritize recovery. So I'm not saying he can't have chill games every once in a while, or even that he can't just go play video games every once in a while. Actually, a lot of that recovery may be essential. Main thing is, is though, is, is that if he's going for pro, he's going to have a much different path. He's going to have to get better at things that he would not have to get good at if he was going for college. Like the going pro, he'd have to isolate. There's a few things he's going to have to get masterful at that he won't even have to think about if he's going for college. One of them is going to be his, his cardio is going to have to be 10 times better if he's going to go pro. That's one of them. Yeah. Again, like you say, 
having some chill games of tennis, that could be part of recovery, but that's probably not a part of mastery. Like part of mastery means he's playing with his coach and they're going over specific new ideas. That yeah, that's doing. part of the focus. Yeah, that's part of the focus, not the recovery. Yeah. And the other thing I would think is you kind of have to do things differently than your opponents. Like if you're all practicing, if you're all in good shape and you're all practicing and you're all talented and you're all practicing four hours a day, it's random who's <laughs> going to beat each other. So you have to kind of figure out. By the way, that's focused on quantity of quantity of practice rather than you're right. It's got to be different. It's got to be quality of practice, right? Quality of skill. So he's got to focus the quality in two ways. One is what am I good at that I could get better at better, faster than other people? And also what are my opponents not studying that I could study so that if I direct the tennis game in that direction, I'm going to be better than them at that. I mean, that's part of mastery is, is having the fine grain nuances and stuff that other people don't have. It's different than expertise, by the way. Like a lot of people, his friends might be experts at tennis, but mastery is doing things uniquely well. Like he's actually chiseling the fine grains, you know? Right. This is actually very relevant for investing and, and, and even day trading. It reminds me of, so everybody could be an expert on any company. So reporters at the wall street journal are experts on Google, Apple, Facebook. They know more about being an expert. It's not how you go 10 X. Right. Ex exactly. Like, like you, you just because you know everything about Facebook doesn't mean you'll succeed as an investor. The people who through history have succeeded as an investors are the ones who find out what areas no one else is looking at and they plow their money into those areas. They also hyper focus on those areas and like niche down. Yeah, exactly. They're not, they're not, they're not overly diversified. They actually have a 20% and they're getting really good and mastering us like a very niche. So like, you know, like Warren Buffett, people always think, Oh, value investor. He buys Coca-Cola when it was low and then now it's super high, blah, blah, blah. But when Warren Buffett first started, what he would do is he would go through thousands of earnings reports, something nobody did then. And they, because they were all printed on paper, you'd have to subscribe to You have to call each company and get them. And just nobody would, would do this. And then he would find companies that were trading below their liquidation value. If you liquidated the whole investment, you would, you would make more money than you put into it. And then he would go to the towns where these companies were and put up signs. The, the companies were very small, so nobody knew about them. He put up signs and he assumed the workers had shares. So he put up signs all over town saying, if you own shares of this company, I'll buy them from you. And he would stay in a hotel. He would tell people what hotel he was at. And then he'd buy all the shares he could. And no one else was there. So that's why he would make the money. That's a good example. I mean, he him he yeah, he himself would admit there's a few things he has gone very deep on to the idea of catching the big fish, and they go really deep on a few things and they ignore everything else. Like they're ignoring almost everything else. And if you look at even like some of the best tennis players, right? They all have their deep 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 mastery, right? And they're not, you know, and then they've got areas where they're just not as great. And so you do I mean, obviously they still you still got to have the fundamentals, but like there's areas where they've just hyper niched and gotten like radically incomparably better than anyone else. And that goes back straight to your initial concept of the therapist. It's like, if you're going to truly solve a problem, like you want to go to someone who's like gone so niche at something, so good at something that like they can actually help you. Like they're, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. But back to the point, two X is being broad. Two X keeps the 80%. Two X keeps that security. Two X in a, in a, and honestly, dude, back to your, your question about fear of failure and stuff. You've done it many times in the past, but when people get successful, there's a lot more security that you don't want to let go of. And so then you start living based on security, not based on freedom. Yeah. Life is a lot more purposeful back to Frankel 
when you do have a purpose that invites you to go deep into a, a, a 20% of sorts, and 20%, 80% is just an analogy, but it invites you to go deep into a deeper level of mastery and to let go of a lot of the things that got you here and to take that risk. To not do that means that you're actually living in the past and that your past has become bigger than your future. And now you're just a shell of yourself, which is tough. Like if you want freedom, if you want security, you can keep the 80% and you can keep your security blankets. But if you want to go back to the freedom, you got to have that higher level of purpose, that call. And then you got you to gotta choose to go for it and commit to it to the expense of what you got now. You know, it's very interesting, like this sort of uh, pr- projection of your future self and and kind of doing the reverse of what everybody else does, which is, oh, if today I'm a failure, tomorrow I'm going to be a failure. You, got, you have to do the reverse. But in a weird way, I like I'm not a believer in the law of attraction where the idea is you write down, oh, I want three tickets to Mexico. And the next day in the mail, you get three tickets to Mexico. Like that's all BS. <laughs> but there's one practice which I think is very interesting, which is let's say I want to be, and I used to do this. Let's say I want to be a successful writer. 30 years ago, I would do this. I would imagine myself as already a successful writer and I would really feel it. It'd be like a meditation. Like I'd really feel it. I've already published a best selling book. I would think to myself, I hadn't published anything at that point. It's like 1993. Uh, I'd already published a best selling book. Everyone around me knows it. That's why they're all interested in reading my stuff because they've all know about my best-selling book. And here's what I have to do today to write the next best-selling book and be continue being a successful writer. And wouldn't you say all that stuff helped you? Oh, that's incredible. So that helped me quite a bit. And that's what I always do when I'm trying to be successful is, is like you say, and you refer in the book, you have to like work backwards, but you have to really in your soul believe it, even if you know you're tricking yourself. And that's the hard thing for me is like, I think it's easier for me now to call bullshit on myself than it was back then. So would you say that you, and there is a beautiful three-step process, by the way, um, that I'll, I'll share with you, which you were just describing, which is beautiful. Um, but you did it. I mean, wouldn't you say that you've achieved many things that your past self thought were impossible? Yes. And, but you're just saying now you don't think it's as likely. Well, not, not necessarily that. It's just that- I, I would say it's more likely now because now you're way more skilled. Yeah, and it's like a meta skill. I'm skilled at getting skilled. I know you are. I'm also skilled at bullshitting myself, and I know that I'm skilled at bullshitting myself. Yeah, but you can weed that out faster. You know, the point I don't, I don't, I actually don't like the idea of quote unquote brainwashing yourself. Even though you know, we all we all do over time reshape our beliefs and our values and stuff like that. How I look at it is what you were just talking about. Imagine a future self. Doesn't matter how seemingly impossible it is. And you do have to like think about it. Like as you're describing, you were visualizing it, but also feeling. So like the three-step model is you go from thinking to feeling to knowing. Mm. And like this is where like thinking about it's the the first part that most people don't even like imagine their future self or imagine what it would be like, let alone getting to the feeling stage that you were describing. And so stage one is honestly imagination and thinking about it and actually like entertaining what you would want and actually like playing with that idea in your mind, thinking about it. It's like the idea that thoughts become things, but emotionally, usually we resist that because it just feels too far away. It feel, that's where you're like, I don't believe it. Like, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel... And so a big part of it, honestly, is getting to a place, first off, gratitude. Obviously, gratitude helps, future-based gratitude and stuff. But a lot of it is like actually allowing yourself to be okay with like, you actually could have that. Like allowing yourself... Because rather than just emotionally rejecting it entirely and saying like that, there's no way I'm a loser. I don't deserve that or blah, blah, blah. Like Or like, that's just... Like there's all those like negative emotions and those emotions say more about you than they say about the task. They just say how you feel about the task. 
yeah. or they say it. But you want to actually like, just like you would, at some point you allowed yourself to buy the house you have. Maybe your past self would have not thought that that was reasonable, but at some point you just allowed yourself that decision. Maybe you allow yourself to, you know, to do whatever it is you allow yourself to do. And so part of that feeling is, is you're imagining it and then you actually allow yourself to say, I- I'm actually okay with that. Like you actually soften the emotions and start to allow yourself to, to feel okay and maybe even accept that it's okay. Like acceptance that I'm okay with this. Like I, I actually feel good about this. I don't have to like make myself feel trashy about this. Like I actually feel good about this. And then the lower stages is the knowing stage. Like one of my favorite quotes from Stephen Covey, he said, um, to know and not do is to really not know. So like you want to get to a place of knowing, you know, and I, and I know that like, and, and you probably got there like with your writing and like in the achievement of various goals where you got to a place where like you knew that you could have it. You knew you would, you knew you could go get it and, and that you were going to take the actions. Um, even if there wasn't a huge amount of evidence, like you got to that place of knowing and maybe you built that through evidence, through that confidence. But uh, I like the quote from Florence Shin. She's kind of like this uh, mystic yeah. writer, but she said, she says, faith knows it has already received and acts accordingly. And I, I do think that it's important to get to that level where like you do feel like, you know, like I've, you're at that place of knowing, like it, it's not to say like you're overly attached, right? It's just like this place of like, ah, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to go for. And I'm not really that worried about what anyone else thinks about it anymore. Like, I'm just going to go for this. This is who I am. It's almost like a point of no return psychologically where like you're going to go for it and it would actually be more painful not to. And, and like, you really don't care if it fumbles or blunders. And you also have stopped worrying about what other people think. And I actually think that imposter syndrome is mostly the fear of what other people think. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and so you really stop worrying about that. And that goes straight back to removing everything that's not the David and getting back to intrinsic motivation and doing what you want, which is freedom. All of those things, the imposter syndrome, fear of failure, those are, those are based on need, not want, and they're, they're slavery tools. Like They're the things that own you because you're not free of those things. And so you got to strip those things away and be free of them and go for what you want. It's, it's very true. I mean, I'm thinking of one very classic case of imposter syndrome in another area of my life that I'm thinking of right now. And <laughs> it, 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 I do care what people think of me. I, I think people are looking at this and saying, this is ridiculous. Why is this guy there? I think you're awesome. And what's funny is you don't know what other people think about you, man. No, it's true. Like, so, so the, the case I'm thinking of is there's this, so I'm, as my listeners know, I'm really into playing chess and that's a big goal of mine is to get back to where I was. Is that a 10X for you, man? It is a 10X for me. I mean, I love so it. I was, I was a chess master in the nineties and when I was, I didn't even know that about you. Yeah. And, and I was very, playing in tournaments. I was New Jersey <laughs> junior champion and whatever. So then I came back to it 25 years later. I stopped for 25 years and I want to get back to where I was or even better. You could get better, dude. I, 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 you could get way better. I know that that sounds ridiculous. You could get better, but you, obviously it would have to be a priority enough to let go of other yeah, things. Yeah, no, it's been a priority. I, I have a coach. I, I study every day. I've started playing in tournaments again. A hundred percent of people, except for my coach and a few others, say there is no way I can do this. My you know, I'm older, my either kids are smarter and sharper and whatever, but whatever, all, all this is happening. And then, uh, uh, so the, the biggest, most famous chess magazine in the world asked me to write articles for them. And so my article appears every month or quarter, whenever the magazine comes out and every other writer is like a former world champion of chess or like a, 
a super grandmaster, like fame, <laughs> like people who were famous when I was a kid are writing great articles. And then there's my article. <laughs> and I totally feel imposter syndrome. Although one, you know, grandmaster of chess told me, no, you forget you're the grandmaster of writing. They're not writers. And that's why the magazine <laughs> wants you to write there. And so, but I, it's, it's definitely, there's imposter syndrome every single time. I, I, I can't even like open the magazine when I get it and read my own article. Cause I feel like, oh my God, it's right next to this world champions article. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's two thoughts here. One is, um, I love the quote, you know, you don't see the outside world. You only see your own reaction to it. Yeah. So like you see your reaction to the article, which is, oh, I feel imposter syndrome. I feel like a loser. That doesn't mean that that's other people's reaction, but it's good to study your own reactions. Second thing though, is this. We've talked a lot about how people project the present onto the future, right? And like they assume that their future is not going to be any different. But the same thing is true of the past. We project the past onto the present. And we do that so much so that we don't realize how much we're different from our past self. Truth is, like you're probably quite different from your past self, even a, like even like three, six months ago. You're probably a lot better at chess than you think you are because you still might be overly projecting your past onto the present and thinking that you're actually the same chess player you were three, six months ago that goes back kind of gap and gain. Like my guess is you're actually a lot better at chess right now than you think you are because you might be overly identifying with your past self three, six, 12 months ago. Yeah, that's definitely true because kind of a, you learn something and this holds, I think for every area, you learn something and it usually takes six to 12 months before what you learn today is really absorbed into how you function, you know, later. Like you, you don't learn something and immediately apply it. Like when your son learns a new way to serve the ball, he doesn't immediately like serve gr perfectly every game. He has to now learn to really integrate this new method into his play. So it's probably true that my play doesn't reflect my knowledge. But then I'm also aware that everybody always thinks they're better than they are at almost everything. So I've, I'm more aware of my Dunning-Kruger bias. I would say in your case, given the radical imposter syndrome, that you probably think you're worse than you are. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> You know what I mean? In this context, with who you're kind of worried about their thoughts, you're probably radically devaluing where you're at. And I'm not saying that you're a grandmaster. Right, no. I'm, not saying you should, I'm not saying dilute yourself. I'm just saying, like, yeah, I, I would just say it's 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 easy. Like one of the aspects of integration is even on a daily basis, you can say, how am I a different chess player than I was at the beginning of the day? Even if you didn't play chess, chances are you actually, in, chances are some of the things settled and you actually maybe had some insight that like, you actually are better at chess than you were 24 hours ago, even if you didn't play. But maybe you're not. But 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 part of getting better is actually trying to think about and recognize how you might be. Certainly how, how much better you were than you were a month ago. And rather than just not even thinking about it, you actually define how you're different and better than you were a month ago. And you maybe it's all you guys do is grab the journal and just write out a list of bullet points. Similar to like your 10 ideas in the morning. It's like, well, what are what are 10 ways that I'm actually a different chess player than I was a month ago? And after you lay those things out, you know, I, I know this move better. I, I, I see this angle better. I've got this model. Like then you've, you actually, that is the process of integrating it where you're like, oh, I can see the distance between my current and my past self. That's a good technique because that also builds confidence. Like if you, it if does. you say, it does. if you recognize and acknowledge and say, oh, this is what I'm better at. Even if you're not like a lot better at it, it still gives you confidence in that area. It does. I mean, confidence, again, is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of past performance, and it's a byproduct of recognition of, of, of capability and skill that you've developed, or even just wins you've had, um, or even just learnings you've had. You can even build confidence when things don't go well, 
because now you know better. Well, this has been fascinating, Ben. Uh, I, I had such a fun time the last time you were on, and I had such a fun time this time. Uh, I, I want to read the. I want to read out loud the title of the book. 10x is easier than 2x by Benjamin Hardy. I forget. Did you co-author this with Dan Sullivan? Yeah, Dan Sullivan, Benjamin Hardy. Yeah, this is uh, this is our third book in the trilogy, and uh, likely the last. Probably, you know, what, why you know, the we've last? All, we've all gone. Well, we've all gone 10x, and um, you know, what's your, time for new adventures? What's your next thing? <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out, man. It's like it's like uh, you go through heroes' journeys. You know what I mean? You go through next level, and uh, you know, you think about. You know, this is goes back to the idea of letting the future become the filter of the present, not the past. Just because something was epic, uh, even Medium back in the day, you know, back when I I was on Medium and it was incredible, and I got that six figure book deal, I didn't just keep doing Medium. Like that became part of my eighty percent because now I had a new future self, a new a new jump. It's kind of like once you're on a mountain, you can see new mountains that you couldn't see at the bottom. And so, you know, um, you know, from where you're at now, the next ten x is is different. It's not a linear path, and so that future then becomes the you know the filter for what you say yes and no to. And so back when I got the book deal, just as an example, it filtered out writing on Medium, even though I was the top writer because my new ten x was not about becoming a ten times more bigger blogger. It was about a different level of mastery. And so you know, same thing is kind of happening here, where it's like. We've we've done a lot of things, you know. My books have pretty much reached a million copies, and like I've gone through a lot of growth. But now, from where I'm at now, and this just goes to the idea that my, you know, your future self is different than your future self is different than your current self. I'm now different in what I value, what I care about, what I want than what I wanted four or five years ago when I set up that collaboration. I now want something different, and so and they even want things that are different. So the futures are no longer aligned. We're all in the gain. We're all celebrating, not mad about what happened. It's freaking amazing. I mean. Our books have been really successful and they've led to a lot of beautiful growth. And and so now the future is different and the future is what dictates the present, not the past. So interesting. I, I, bet, I bet I know what your next thing is, is write Harlequin romance novels. I know that's always been your passion. You, you've read hundreds of them. <laughs> Now you're ready to take it. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I've been doing in that's what I've been doing in my you know, you guys don't know what I do in my secret life. I've been reading romance novels forever and I've finally shifted out. Now I'm finally being real to my dream like your your like your golf guy. But by the way, have you ever done um what's it called when you um uh, impressions? Do you do impressions of of people? No, should I? Sometimes okay, like for instance, when I was just looking at the title of your book, I had to flip away from this screen to look at the the title of your book. And I always forget titles for whatever reason. My memory is not as good as it used to be. But um, you, you sounded like Michael J. Fox. I thought I was talking to Michael J. Fox. <laughs> I guess you try to do an impression That's of Michael J. Fox. Like, not now, but like practice it a little bit. And next time you come on the podcast, you do an impression. I'll, I'll do it. I'll spend the first five minutes on the podcast next time just being Michael J. Fox. Yeah. And then, and then I, can, I could say this is an interview with Michael J. Fox. So <laughs> that'd be pretty dang awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, 10x is easier than 2x. I was about to say 10x is the new 2x, but the title is 10x <laughs> is easier than 2x. How world-class entrepreneurs achieve more by doing less. Thanks once again, Benjamin Hardy. I look forward to seeing your next level up and having you back on the podcast. I'll come back with the romance novels. We'll have some fun with that. Excellent. <laughs> See you, brother.
If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.